You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Good evening, Revolution Church. Right on. I'll get you trained eventually. I learned that trick from my sister who's a teacher. Remember whenever you get in trouble because like the teacher's talking and then all of a sudden just dead silence and you know, dude, Jeff's about to get destroyed. And you, anyway, um, <laughs> is there anyone here named Jeff? I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> my name's Dave. Uh, I'm the teaching pastor here at Revolution. And this evening we are getting back to our series in 1 John uh, titled Simple Truths. And we decided to call this sermon series through 1 John Simple Truths because much of what John says uh, are things that uh, most of us have heard before but we always need reminded of because we are incredibly dull. As the Puritans would say, we are dull, dim-witted people who are quick to forget even the most basic truths and principles of our faith. So it was about a month ago that we were last in 1 John. Uh, We spent three weeks uh, doing an Advent series and then... Dave Allison preached his first sermon for us last week, which was fantastic, and I appreciated the week off. Um, So it's been a month since we've been in 1 John, and uh, we had just started chapter 4, and we're going to be continuing there because we do verse-by-verse exposition here. Uh, And in order to recap uh, the context of the passage that we'll be in this evening, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I know we did 1 through 3 last time, but we're going to look at 1 through 6, and the first three verses are going to be review for us. Uh, And the passage that we're in... This evening is one dealing with discernment and false teachers. All right, so false teachers, right? They are an absolute plague on the church today. But to be totally fair, they've been a plague on the church since the church started. That's why John wrote this letter, actually, was to combat some heresies and some false teaching that was going on in the church uh, gathered in Asia Minor. But today, for us, at least uh, here in the West, It seems like everywhere you turn, there is another denomination going liberal um, or a once trusted teacher or preacher beginning to teach heresies. Uh, And in times like this, sometimes, uh, if you're like me at least from time to time, uh, we can become fearful for the future of the church and wonder, you know, what is going to happen if only a small, small group of professing Christians in America are left faithful to the truth of the word of God. Um, or, or we may wonder, how in the world are we, even personally, going to persevere and, 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 and navigate ourselves through this sea of false teaching and heresy that we find ourselves in? It's everywhere. Um, but an important thing for us in light of that is that we'd be able to identify a false teacher when we hear one. All right? That's incredibly important. That's an important skill for us to have. Uh, and that's John's aim for us in the passage that we're in this evening. Uh, John's aim is to encourage us in perseverance um, and and give us some comfort and also teach us how to spot a heretic so that we might avoid them and their teaching in the future. So here's the big idea of the text. I'll read this twice to you. It's my thesis, if you will. As we are confronted with false teaching, the Holy Spirit will protect and teach us by allowing us to hear the voice of Christ through the teaching of the apostles. And all teaching must be weighed against the apostolic witness of the New Testament. I'll read that again. As we are confronted with false teaching, 
the Holy Spirit will protect and teach us by allowing us to hear the voice of Christ through the teaching of the apostles. All teaching must be weighed against the apostolic witness of the New Testament. So with that being said, now that I've given you a little bit of a thesis statement for this sermon, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I think I might see a couple of new faces, or my memory is just awful. Uh, Take one of those uh, white or blue Bibles in the back of that pew. If you don't have one, take it home with you. That's our gift to you. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. God, our holy triune God, we come before you um, in need of grace. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, make, the, make the text plain to us, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and retain what it is that you want us to know as you inspire John in this writing. God, I pray you'd be with the congregation as they participate in the ministry of hearing the word and that you'd be with me as I preach the word, that I would say truth and that you'd bless us in hearing it. God, please protect us from false teaching that we might persevere to the end. And we are ridiculously dependent upon you because if you don't do your work, we will perish. So we humbly ask you to please do do your work in us and let us see. And if there are any unbelievers that are here among us this evening, I pray that you would use this sermon to draw them to Christ. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the context of this chapter, right, that those first three verses that we looked at, um, John wants us to be aware of false prophets and, and, and false teachers. All right, now, this was a problem for the people that John wrote to, all right, the heretics were, as, as we've talked about many times. Uh, this group, uh, I've been calling them the Gnostics. It's probably more fair to call them the proto-Gnostics, right? So there's your, there's your term for the day. Uh, they were the forerunners to the Gnostic heretics, okay? But they weren't exactly Gnostics. Gnostic means not, I'll tell you what they mean. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the Gnostics essentially taught that body was bad, everything material and physical was bad, the spirit was good. Uh, and because of that, they denied that Jesus Christ was truly human, And also a derivative of all that is that your body is evil and you can live however you want because it doesn't matter what you do with your physical body, right? So them denying the true humanity of Jesus ended up spewing into a bunch of other heresies and a bunch of other immoral living, right? And that's why John writes because heresy is a problem in the church that he's writing to. But the passage that we just read is calling us to discernment. It's calling us to judge, it's actually funny because a lot of people will tell you, you're not supposed to judge if you're a Christian. That's eh, actually not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us to judge with right judgment. That's what Jesus said. 
All right, so this passage is calling us to discernment between truth and error. To test the spirits. That's what verse 1 says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. Now this discernment, this judging between truth and error, true teachers and false teachers, is not an option for the Christian to command, or for the Christian to obey. This is a command from God. It's an imperative statement. Test the spirits. Do not believe everything that you hear. Now I know sometimes we joke about false teachers, right? Like I'm king, right? I love to make fun of Joel Osteen and all that nonsense. It's good times, right? Um, just because a lot of the teaching is just so stupid. I mean, seriously, like, it's just so stupid and unbiblical that it's frustrating, and what do you do but mock that kind of nonsense? But in reality, false teaching is deadly serious. Heresy is deadly serious. So I'm going to sound, I was telling Steve, I'm going to sound like a, an old school Baptist because it's kind of what I am. Your eternal soul is at stake whenever it comes to false teaching. This is not a mere intellectual exercise to see who is right and who is wrong. People go to hell for believing heresy. People go to hell for believing false doctrine. This is more than just us seeing whose doctrine is more pristine and clean and good and right. Salvation is at stake in these matters. That's one of the reasons why here at Rev we take doctrine so deadly seriously and we will accept no error in this church. And when we see it, we correct it, both in ourselves and, and in the congregation. But again, you will perish forever under the wrath of God if you believe heresy. So this is serious. Now let me define heresy real quick. The way that, there's a few ways you can use it, but the way that I'm using the word heresy this evening is, is this. A false teaching that, if believed and not repented of, will condemn you to hell. That's what I mean. Okay, so I'm talking about a false teaching that denies one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith. One of the cardinal doctrines of the faith. Right? These are things like, and this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a decent one. Things like the Trinity. The two natures of Christ. That Christ is truly God and truly man. The sinlessness of Jesus Christ. The atonement of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection in general. Are you seeing a pattern? It's usually they're revolving around Jesus. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? Things like that. We're talking about big stuff whenever I'm talking about heresy this evening. I am not talking about secondary or tertiary doctrines like Calvinism versus Arminianism or the spiritual gifts, whether or not they continue, which they don't. The charismatic gifts. Anyhow, uh, it's actually one of the funnier things that we have a Pentecostal church that meets here in the morning and they like speak in tongues. And then I come in here in the evening and tell you that that's not real. Um, it's one of the funniest things about this church, uh, the two churches that use this building. Anyhow, so we're not talking about those secondary things where true Christians, true brothers and sisters can disagree and love one another and still have unity around the cross of Christ. We're talking about things that if you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. We're talking about huge doctrines here. But the threat of false teachers, it's real for us. Right? Verse 2 says, many false teachers have gone out into the world. And we read that and say, yes and amen, John. They have. Right? The heretics are out there for certain. They are always present and they are always looking to deceive the faithful. And these heretics are dangerous because they are led by the spirit of Antichrist. 
John, this is the second time John's told us this in this letter. They are led by the spirit of Antichrist. Now here John is using, we're going to talk about this a couple more times. He's using his two categories that he's used throughout the entire letter. There's the church and there's the world. There are believers and there are unbelievers. There are people who have been born again of the spirit of God. And there are people who, have been, who are unconverted. There are people who are led by the Holy Spirit and people who are led by the spirit of Antichrist. And there are only those two groups. Truly, there is no gray area. You're either saved or you're unsaved. There are not different levels of unsaved and different levels of saved. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. You're either a child of God or a child of Satan and stand condemned under the judgment of God. But John writes so that we would be on guard and be able to discern who is a true teacher and who is false. And John has said earlier that he writes in order to remind us. Right, 1 John 2.21, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So this is so important for us that John reiterates our need to spot false teachers multiple times throughout this letter. All right, in that context in chapter 2, he had just mentioned the heretics that were, that were plaguing the church. Right, so he's mentioned this multiple times. It's kind of like my dad, right? My dad, uh, he has a lot of guns. So don't break into his home. Uh, but he has a lot of guns. And uh, whenever me and him are out in his garage or behind his house or whatever, um, every time he hands me a gun, he says, hey, Dave, it's loaded. Be careful. Right? And he's taught me this stuff before. Like, I know, like, you can kill people with a gun. It's not a toy. Accidents happen. You need to be careful. And I know it's loaded because I just watched him put the clip in it and rack one into the chamber. Right? Like, I'm not stupid. But it's that, it's, it's that serious that he would remind me every time he hands me a gun. Be careful. Be careful, it's loaded. Be careful. Right? Also, if anyone's in need of a gun, get a hold of my dad. Um, I'm sure someone's going to be upset that I just mentioned gun ownership from the pulpit. Get over it. Yeah, anyway. Um, so in light of that, you can never say I'm not a good son. Um, but in, in light of all of that, John's reminding us multiple times, let me say again, whenever it comes to heresy, your soul is at stake. Eternity is on the line. I was reading in a commentary this week as I was studying for this. A commentator said, To believe wrongly is just as much of a sin as to live wrongly. Right? So whether it's our belief or our action, it's equally sinful. And this passage is so ridiculously relevant for us because we live in an age where many self-professed Christians and pastors, and I use those terms with quotes, Christians and pastors, will teach heresies denying the Trinity and the two natures of Christ and the deity of Jesus Christ. Will deny the virgin birth of Christ, the sinless life of Christ. They will deny the existence of sin in general. They will deny salvation only through Christ, the exclusivity of salvation. They'll tell you that all people are saved regardless of what they believe. People deny the, the, the reality of salvation by faith alone. People deny the existence and reality of hell, the inerrancy of Scripture, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the necessity of repentance. And one of the biggest ones that I notice, at least around here in, in many churches, that people deny the holiness in life that naturally flows and follows saving faith in Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews chapter 12, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There are people who call themselves pastors or Christians and deny those truths that I just listed before you. False teachers are everywhere. In Christian bookstores, it's one of the most dangerous places you can go if you're an immature Christian. 
into a Christian bookstore. They're in there. They're, they're all over social media, all over blogs and the internet, in universities, in seminaries, as professors, all over television, like TBN and all that nonsense. And they are leading people to hell. And they're leading, and they're probably unknowingly leading people to hell. But they're doing so because they are led not by the Spirit of God, but by the Spirit of Antichrist. They teach what the Apostle Paul calls the doctrines of demons. They're called the doctrines of demons because these false teachers are led by satanic influences, the spirit of Antichrist. Now this is kind of scary for us, if you think about it, because Satan is much, much, much mightier than we are. Just be real here. Satan is much stronger than you are. Actually, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Peter and Jesus are talking, and Peter just got done telling Jesus, I'm going to stand with you. I'm not going anywhere. Right? Like Peter's being a macho man. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan has asked to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Like, Like Satan will handle you, Peter, in two seconds. You are nothing to him. But then Jesus goes on to say, but I have prayed for you that you might persevere. But left on his own, Peter would have been sifted like wheat by the devil. And so will we, if left on our own. So what hope do we have while being outnumbered, and humanly speaking, outgunned by these false teachers? Verse 4. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them. This is John's encouragement to us. He says that, that the believer has already overcome the false teachers. That's amazing. Like, but how can that be that we have already overcome the false teachers? Clearly, there are battles to be fought. The church or, and the Christian individually is going to have to stand firm, reject the error, rebuke the heretics, and expose their false teaching. There are still many spiritual battles to be fought and verbal battles to be fought. How is it that the Christian has already overcome these false teachers? I would say that our overcoming these heretics is true in a couple of senses. The first one is in more of an eternal sense. John starts us out, he says, little children, you are from God. Meaning that you have your origin in God. And what he's referring to is the new birth. He says, you have been born again of God's Holy Spirit and are a part of God's family. And because of that, God loves you dearly. You are His child. He holds you tightly to Himself. And because of that, God will keep us in His grace. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All right, now, meaning that doesn't mean that no one's going to stand against the Christian. Many may stand against us, but what Paul is saying and John is saying here is that they will not overcome the people of God. The whole world might stand against us armed with heresy, but they shall not overcome because God is for us because we have been born again of His Spirit and trust in His Son. 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5 through says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
That is encouraging whenever you consider how outnumbered we are with all the heretics in the world. Peter tells us, you are being guarded. Your salvation is kept in heaven, imperishable and unfading for you. And God is keeping His holy hand on you as you walk through this life, granting you perseverance, protecting you that you might make it to the end. And he says, we will receive what God has promised to us. Our inheritance, which is our salvation. So in an eternal sense, I think this is one of a couple of senses John may have meant here, but in an eternal sense, the false teachers cannot touch the Christian. They can't touch us because God protects us. So the elect of God, those who have been born again, who trust in Christ, the elect of God will not be fatally deceived. We may be deceived for a time, but God will grant us repentance and show us the truth. We will not be fatally and damningly deceived. In a second way, I think John can mean this overcoming. Consider this. John is writing to the true Christians who have rejected the false teaching. Right In chapter 2, he says the Antichrists have gone out from among you, meaning they don't, that you, you've expelled them from your local congregations. They have rejected the false teaching of the heretics. So in an immediate sense, the believer who has rejected false teaching has overcome the false teacher by not giving them an audience in themselves to deceive. All right, so this is really encouraging to us. Because John is saying every time we reject false teaching, we defeat the heretic. Every time you reject their stuff and say, that's not biblical, that's nonsense. That you've won. Right? So the unbeliever may be deceived, but the church of God is victorious over the heretic by simply holding fast to the truth. That's all we need to do for victory. They may keep running their mouth and spewing this nonsense, but we win when we reject their teaching. But why is it that the church overcomes? Verse 4b. For he who is in you, for because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is the anchor and root of our hope. This is a, actually this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. John is, talks about his pneumatology, right? His study of the Holy Spirit throughout this whole, this whole letter is astounding. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. John says it is because of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we overcome false teaching. He roots it in the one who dwells in us. We are protected by God and given wisdom from His Holy Spirit. So let's just think of the role of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that converted us. right? It's the Holy Spirit. It is, he allowed us to see Christ. He guides us into the truth. He illumines the Scriptures to us. He conforms us to the image of Christ. He gives us the ability to believe. And for the Christian, He lives in you. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So it is by the Holy Spirit and His working in us that we understand and savingly believe right doctrine. Let me be really plain on something. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't do that. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in you, you cannot savingly believe correct doctrine. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in and on you, you will be deceived by false teaching. 
So let me make a note here. It is not because the Christian is smarter or stronger or wiser that we overcome the spirit of Antichrist in the world through the false teachers. It is not because we're smarter or more studious or any of that stuff. Although those things are important that we study the Scripture. But John says it is solely by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are guided into truth and away from error. And I can say personally, I have watched many very worldly wise, worldly intelligent people who have given in to heresy, who by worldly standards are much smarter than me. Many people with PhD at the end of their name have given in to heresy and teach heresy. It's not because we're smarter than the false teacher. Hear me, this should humble us to our knees before God. We are utterly dependent upon God to protect us and give us the grace to discern. It's not in you. It's not in me. Satan would sift us like wheat. Satan deceived Adam and Eve who had no sinful nature. How much more us who have a sinful nature and an inclination born in us that we might sin. How easy is it for Satan to sift us like wheat? But God Himself dwells in us to protect us. And He is greater than all. So though all of hell should assault us, they will not overcome the children of God. We will reject false teaching. Just consider this. What a great grace it is to us that God would not just convert us and then leave us on our own to fend for ourselves and ensure our own victory. Rather, instead of that, God says, I will dwell in you. I will teach you. I will deliver you from your enemies, as as Stephen read to us in the call to worship. I will preserve you from the attacks of Satan. What a great grace it is that God says, I will dwell in you and keep you. John then goes on to explain in verse 5 why the heretics teach what they teach. Verse 5, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So they are of the world, meaning obviously they are not of God. So there's John's two groups, right? his two groups of people teaching. Again, there are believers, people who have been born again and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and converted and love the Lord Jesus and trust and follow Him. And then there is the world who is unconverted, following their own desires, led by satanic influences, who are children of the devil. John says these worldly teachers are from the world, meaning they are in the flesh. That's like an old school term you don't hear a lot in a lot of churches anymore. Uh, The King James would say that they are in the natural man, right? They are of the flesh. They are children of the wrath of God. They are in their natural state that all people are born into. That you and I, according to Paul in Ephesians 2, we were all born children of wrath in our natural state, hostile to God, not wanting to obey Him, lacking the ability to obey Him, not being able to understand spiritual truths because we don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. They're in that natural state. And they are hostile to God in His truth as we once were. Therefore, they teach the world's wisdom. That is hostile to God and His truth. It's just natural. They're from the world, so they say the kind of nonsense that the world would say. 
And John says that the world listens to such teachers because they speak from the world, meaning they speak the wisdom of the world. And this, I think, tells us something very important. Okay? And, and that's this. And this has been my experience in, in, in studying heresies because I love to have fun on the weekends. Um, but nearly every, if not all, heresy and false teaching appeals to the flesh. Especially modern heresies. Some old school heresies were a little bit more intellectual but still just very dumb and led to bad things. But today, a lot of, most every heresy that I see going around today in the church in America appeals to the flesh. You don't have to be a genius to see this stuff. The world says everyone goes to heaven. In the words of the late R.C. Sproul, the world believes in justification by death, not justification by faith. (laughs) Everyone who dies goes to heaven. And there are false teachers out there who preach a heresy called universalism that says regardless of what you believe, all roads are going up the same mountain to the same God. It's not what Christ taught. Christ taught no one comes to the Father except through me. And unless you repent of your sins, you'll be damned. The world says Jesus was just a man. A good man, but just a man. And there are heretics who claim to be Christians who deny the divinity of Christ. The world says, I don't like what the Bible says. And there are heretics who tell them, well, just reject the parts you don't like and keep the parts that you do like. The world says, I want to save myself. I want to attribute something to my salvation. And there are people who say salvation is not by faith alone, in Christ alone. You have to add to it and supplement it with your own works. The world says, you only live once. Right? Hello. No one says that anymore. Awful. Thank you, Drake. The world says, you only live once. And there are people who deny the resurrection of the body in the final judgment. The world says, love is love. And this is one of the biggest lies in the West right now. The world says, love is love is love. And there are people who will stand up and teach you that homosexuality is not sin and that transgenderism is not sin. The world says God demanding blood for the forgiveness of sins is too brutal and too archaic. And there are people who deny the atonement of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, I think really all this boils down to this. The world says, I want to live how I want. And there is a false teacher who stands up and says, God is not holy. And God doesn't care how you live. And God doesn't demand repentance or change. For every bit of worldly wisdom and desire, there is a false teacher willing to satisfy that and teach it. For everything that the world wants, for every idol that the world wants to worship, for every sinful desire that the world has, there is a false teacher willing to step up and satisfy it. And then they'll slap a cross on it and call it Christian. It's blasphemy. They're teaching the world's wisdom and sending people to hell, and the world eats it up and accepts them and says, those are the real Christians. Everyone else doesn't really know God. These people really know God because God would let me do me. God would give me what I want. God would be just like me. And they're being led to hell. So let me make a note of application just real quick in light of that. This may may or may not step on toes. Bring it on. If the world accepts 
and agrees with you the majority of time, majority of the time, in your beliefs about God, salvation, repentance, morality, Jesus, hell, and the like, you're probably wrong. If the world agrees with you, you're probably wrong. If the world accepts the things that you teach and how you live, how you speak, the way you think, you're probably sinning. I'm not saying that there can't be exceptions to the rule here and there. But in my experience, that tends to be the truth. If the world can accept you and your beliefs and how you live, you're probably sinning. You need to repent. And I say this because the world cannot bear the truth of God. They'll either be converted by it or they will attack it viciously like an animal. But the false teachers are of the world and they speak worldly things and the world loves them. And there are more out there than there are in the family of God. But our great comfort is that this world is passing away along with all of its wisdom, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And lastly, we come to verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So unlike the false teachers being from the world, true teachers are from God. Simple enough, right? We are from God. So true teachers are indwelt by this Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit leads them to teach the truth about Christ and His gospel. And the kind of life that then proceeds from faith in that gospel and in that Christ. But John here says, we are from God. So this we is the opposite of the false teachers, obviously. But I don't think that every individual believer is included in that we. And there's a little bit of debate on this. I'll fight you in the parking lot over it. Um, I'll give you my commentaries if you want them. Um, There's a small disagreement. But I don't believe that every individual believer is included in that we. That we are from God. True, John has already said, little children, you are from God, right? So clearly, we have our origin in God. Christians have been born again. We are members of the family of God. Uh, but I think John has a very, very, very specific group in mind here whenever he says, we are from God, in, in opposition to the false teachers who are from the world. I believe that the we in this verse is the we found in chapter 1. All right, chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. As, and you won't remember this from like six or seven months ago. But we talked about that. And that we there is the apostolic group of teachers. It's the apostles and their associates. It's just the apostles, the we. That, rather, I take that back. It's just the apostles here. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That's the apostles. The Christ that we saw. The Christ who taught us personally. So the apostles and what they teach are from God, is what John is saying. He's saying, if you know God, you listen to us. And if you don't listen to us, then you don't know God. And that strikes us as extremely arrogant, doesn't it? If you don't listen to us, you don't know God. Like, again, in the 21st century, like, ah, that's a pretty arrogant statement. Um, And it would be if you or I said, if you disagree with me, you aren't saved. And we know we've met... You ever met the Arminian that tells you that if, you, if you're a Calvinist, you're not a Christian? Yeah, thank you, four of you. God bless you. Hold fast. Uh, anyhow, 
We're older than them. Don't forget that. Anyway, um, so again, if you or I say, if you disagree with me, you aren't saved, that's incredibly arrogant. But John is not being arrogant here. Right? John just understands what it means to be an apostle and the authority of that office. So let's talk about that real quick. An apostle, uh, I'm not going to attempt the Greek here because I can't, means a messenger, right? a sent one. Right? So an apostle was one who was taught, we see this in Acts chapter 1, one who was taught personally by Jesus Christ, who followed Christ in his ministry, was taught by him, and then commissioned by him to be an apostle. So an apostle is a messenger. And what you need to know about messengers back in their time, a messenger, an apostle, carries the message of the sender. In this case, Jesus carries the message of the sender with all of the authority of the one who sent the message. If you're a messenger of the king, you say, I come in the name of king so-and-so, and to disagree with me is to disagree with the king and bring the wrath of the king on you. That's what John is saying. I'm a messenger of the king, the sovereign of the universe. I come in his authority speaking his message. So John has been sent by Jesus to teach sound doctrine with the authority of the Christ. And that's, that is the only reason that John can speak so boldly and make such a strong claim. Because he knows Christ commissioned him for this purpose. He understands the weight of what it means to be an apostle. Right? Now, we have no apostles today. Let me say that again. There are no apostles today. You see people, it's like, hey, so-and-so, we're having a revival, and apostle so-and-so is coming. Oh, really? No, he's not. Um, Because apostles don't exist. Anyway, um, we have no apostles today. Nobody can meet that criteria of being commissioned personally by Jesus Christ after being taught personally by him. That just doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't exist. Right? But in the grace of God, God had the apostles commit their teachings unto writings for us. Right? He had the teachings of the apostles committed to writing. So the apostolic writing and teaching is the New Testament. Right? You guys knew that already? So this is a great grace of God toward us that he would have the apostolic witness recorded and then given down and passed down to us in the New Testament scriptures. So for us today in our context where we have no living apostles, we can look at verse 6 and see this. Whoever is of God listens to the apostolic witness in the Bible. And whoever does not submit to the scriptures is not of God. In our context, that's what verse 6 applies to us. The Christian submits to the Bible. The unbeliever does not. And this is all because the apostles were sent by God, the Son, Jesus. So basically, John says, whoever has been born again submits to what the apostles taught. Let me say this. A Christian might be in error, and a Christian can be in error for a long season, but they will eventually repent and submit to the teachings of the apostles. Maybe error for, me and Steve talked about that earlier. We were in some stupid errors a few years back. Again, nothing, nothing super, nothing like heretical, like going to send you to hell. But we were in error. A Christian can be in error, a non-damning error, but they will eventually repent and submit to the teachings of the apostles. And this is how you can tell who is a true and false teacher, or even true and false Christian. So John has given us another litmus test to discern with. 
Right? And it's plain to see that this test is legitimate. Right? That's because there's a special link. Hear me on this. There's a special link between the people of God and God's Word. All right? So listen to the words of Jesus in John's Gospel. Three passages for you, and then I'll show you what he's saying here. John 10, 26, and 27. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 18, uh, 1837b, Jesus is having a conversation with Pontius Pilate. And he says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. John chapter 8, verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. John is just repeating what Jesus has said. Because Jesus taught that his sheep, his people, hear his voice and they come to him. And that everyone who is of the truth listens to him. And that those who belong to God hear what God has said in him. And this is important for us to know because John is saying that the spirit who dwells in the believer enables them to hear God's voice speaking through the apostles whom God has sent to teach. That's what he's saying. So we can recognize God's people because they listen to God's word. In a nutshell. So in light of our context discerning true and false teachers, John gives us a very simple test. All we need to do is measure what any teacher says against what the apostles said. That's how you spot one. If they disagree with the apostles, then we know that they are not led by the Holy Spirit. Rather, they are unbelievers and are led by the spirit of Antichrist. Because those who have been born of God hear God through the teachings of the apostles and they gladly submit to it because they are of God. They are Christ's sheep. And those who are of the world reject it and they hold to the world's wisdom instead. So I have four points of application for you in light of this text and we'll make them quickly. This text is calling us, point one, to discern between truth and error. Right, verse 6, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This text is calling us to compare all teaching to that of the apostles. And the only way that, that we know how to do that is by the word, is by the holy scriptures. So let me say this, very stereotypical pastor stuff up here. Be in the Bible. Seriously. Read the scriptures seriously and read them daily. Read your Bible. Study the Bible. Pray that God will give you insight into the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.12 We receive the Holy Spirit that we might get the things that God has freely given us. That we might understand spiritual truths. Alright, so it's the new year, right? New year, new you? Probably not, but it's new year. Read through the Bible this year. If you never have, if you've never read it cover to cover, read through it. Find a good reading plan. Talk to one of us. It's going to be up on the stage. We'll help you. Or if you've read through the Bible many times, I would recommend this strongly. And people are going to say, blasphemy, preacher. Um, Maybe don't read through the whole Bible this year if you've read it through a bunch. Pick a few books and study them intensely. That's profitable. That's a good thing. And if you need resources or you need to study Bible or you need commentaries, please tell me. I'll hook you up. I promise. This church will furnish you guys uh, with with resources that you might study the Scriptures. But again, you, you cannot discern if you do not know truth. You can't spot false teaching if you don't know true teaching. And I'll be honest, meeting here once a week and having me preach to you is probably not going to cut it as much as we're assaulted with bad teaching in the world today. Read your Bible. 
You will not know the truth apart from the Bible. Two, false teaching is all around us. Obviously, it has crept into the church in a lot of ways. Some of it's subtle. Some of it is very, very easy to see. So in light of that, that, that false teaching has crept into the church in some form or fashion, I would ask you to do a personal inventory, and it's going to be painful. Do a personal inventory of what you believe and how you live. Ask yourself this, where do I, where do I agree more with the world and less with the apostles? On any point, where do I agree more with the world and less with the apostles? Where have I been deceived? Where have I let the world influence me? The answer may be theological. It may be a moral issue. Both are equally sinful. So search yourself deeply and honestly. And when you find that sinful influence, point three, whenever you find that inclination, that denial of truth, and you will, if you're honest, whether you're denying it, the truth intellectually or by the way you live, you'll find something. And when you do, repent. Repent. Agree with God that you have rejected His truth and His way and that you have accepted a lie. Confess your sin to Him and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Turn to the Christ who was crucified for you. Who suffered the full weight and wrath of God for all of your sins. Including your sins of of living sinfully and believing falsehood. Died for that. Turn to that Christ and trust Him. Because God promises the free and full forgiveness of sins for all who repent and trust Christ. Right? This is just the Christian life, right? We repent and believe the gospel and are made right with God. And then for the rest of our lives, we repent and believe the gospel, right? Like, this is what we do. We keep repenting and keep believing. Knowing that our sin doesn't take us away from our right standing with God, but we necessarily continue to repent and believe because that's what God tells us to do. And then lastly, my favorite point of application, rejoice. Rejoice, Christian. Rejoice in God. Though this world is full of false teachers and haters of God's truth, though Satan is stronger than you, though all hell would break you, you have overcome them. You've been brought into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Rejoice. Victory is yours. Hold fast to what you know. God promises to keep you by His grace. He has loved you with an unfailing love and will not allow you to be fatally deceived. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you is greater than the threat of Antichrist in the world. So hold that blessed truth in your heart because it is your confidence as you leave here and go out into the world to be assaulted by false teaching is that the one who dwells in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'll close with the final verses of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. 
that you have been so kind to us to promise us protection from this world. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd grant us perseverance. God, give us insight into your word. Give us a desire to be in the scriptures daily, to study deeply, to drink deeply from the fountain of truth that is the word of God. Help us to be able to graciously, and and as Paul tells Timothy, with all patience, to rebuke um, and, 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 and exhort false teachers to repent and believe the gospel. God, I pray that, that in this sermon uh, that people don't become hard-hearted against false teachers, that they know who they are, um, but God would, would have a, a strong desire to correct people who are in error because they may repent. You may grant them repentance. You may bring them into the fold, or if it's a brother or sister who's in sin, in their, in their believing, in their doctrine, in their living, that we might go and show them the truth of the word of God, the truth of the apostolic witness, and that they might repent, that we might snatch them out of the fire. God, help us to see the threat of heresy and to run into your arms of truth. And God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who, who suffered and died for all of our ignorance and all of our error and all of our misunderstanding and all of our believing the lies of the world. Thank you so much, Christ, for suffering and dying in our place that we might be reconciled to God and protected by him until we receive our promised inheritance of salvation. We love you and we praise you and thank you in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.